Getting out of your own way is overcoming what stands between you and where you want to be, the life you want to be living, the job you want to have. In this episode of the Get Out of Your Own Way podcast, I talk with Graham Selden, founder of professional services executive search firm, Selden Rosser. Over Graham's 25-year career, he's learned a lot about how people get in their own way, what he does to help them own their career situation and to see things differently. We also explore Graham's personal experiences, including his father dying when he was just four years old, coming out as a gay man, his fear of men in authority in the workplace, understanding, exploring and overcoming his limiting beliefs and how coaching and therapy has propelled his personal happiness and professional success. One of my favourite things that Graham shares is that the answer is already inside. You just need to find it. We talk about mindset, perspective and personal responsibility. How we all paint pictures, the value of self-reflection, how to bring your authentic self to work and as a gay man, intergenerationally, the challenges that have come with that. We also talk about how he has successfully managed alcohol addiction and today runs a thriving global professional services executive search firm. Let's find out how Graham got out of his own way. Welcome, Graham. Hello, how are you? I'm great, thank you. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. I'm excited to have this conversation with you. Thank you. So we are here today to talk about your experience of getting out of your own way. Can you just start by telling me a little bit about yourself? Yes, uh, I I founded an executive search firm over 20 years ago, which specializes in the recruitment of executives for some of the world's most prominent professional services firms. I, I'm from the UK originally. I relocated to Australia. I'm now currently back living in the UK. I've spent the last 22 years in Australia. And in that time, have built a business that you know very much focuses on career um, development and recruitment for very, very senior people in the professions. So law, accounting, engineering, consulting firm across the APAC region, which has been amazing and, and, and fantastic. And I've been privy to, you know, witnessing some fantastic career journeys in my time. And it's, you know, that's the sort of thing I do on a daily basis. So I spend a lot of my time thinking about other people's careers and looking at other people's career journeys. What have you noticed? Um, what's really been very fascinating for me is that the very, very uh, successful people often have quite similar traits, but that there are often times when the most amazing people have huge doubts about their skills or their worth or their value to an organization. And that's always surprised me because I come from a very working class background. I, you know, I was educated to degree level, but not in you know a fancy university and I didn't get a fancy degree. But most of the people I work with are highly qualified, have had amazing life experiences, came from you know great backgrounds generally. And so I always felt that these people had had it made and it would be really easy for them. So it's been really, really interesting for me um, to see that sometimes along the way, people who've come from the most amazing 
backgrounds, for the most amazing educations, can actually find themselves in a place where they doubt themselves or they become a barrier to their own success, which is something that personally I've also experienced. So I think what you're doing in the podcast that you're, that you're putting together will be really interesting and really helpful because I think sometimes the biggest challenges that we have in life and also in our careers, and I believe the two are very intrinsically linked, they often come from the same source, which is you, the individual. And so some people who are incredibly successful have navigated a way of dealing with that. And other people who could have been as successful in terms of reaching the hierarchical heights that they wouldn't want to reach have often not got there because they've got in their own way. How did you reach the conclusion that it's often the individual in their own way? Um, because when you, so, so my, the, the role that I have is I work in a niche industry and so often I come across the same people over time. You know, I've, I, there, there are some candidates that I've placed six, seven times in their career. So you do see in a small sort of market um, the same sort of same names. And I can reflect back and think to myself, well, you, you know, you are a peer of this person. This person has reached this height. You didn't. You came from the same sort of background. You had the same choices. You had the same experiences. Why didn't you? Um, and there's always a story. There's, you know, there's always a reason why. And I find it fascinating that when people look at um, as a society, we're very much, we look at success in a particular way. We look at success in terms of job title or money or, or whatever it might be. But actually there are some, it doesn't always mean that you're the best person in the market to do that particular job. It just means that you're either there at the right place at the right time, or you had the capability to push through, or you didn't have personal barriers that other people had. So it's been really, it's, it's been an interesting journey for me over 25 years to get to a point where, I spend a lot of time now in when I'm recruiting with candidates, actually working almost like a coach to them on how they can see what other people see in them and how they can look at their career in a more independent way um, and almost like a helicopter view of who they are and what they've done and what they can do, as opposed to the personal view that a lot of people carry about themselves in their career. And they, they often feel quite... Um, insecure about reaching for the next role or applying for the next job or going through the interview process because something holds them back. I spend a lot more of my time with senior people trying to debunk the myth of, of those hurdles that they have in their life. What are the most common hurdles that you're seeing? The most common I've seen over the last 20 odd years is women um, coming back to the workplace after maternity leave. Um, or taking time off at a point in their careers. So, so often, what happens in professional services is that you, you, you know, you might start in a role in your early twenties, and by the time you're reaching your early thirties, you're you're getting into leadership positions, and that's also generally the time that women start to plan to have a family, and so then there is a period of time where they take maternity leave. And sometimes they might take two or three maternity leaves over that next five or six year period of their career. And that's often when I see women lose confidence um, in their identity at work. And also they feel like if they've been away for a year, they've, they're not relevant, their skill set's not relevant. Where actually we all know, particularly in professional services, a year is not a very long time. Not, not that much can happen in a year. So I've spent a lot of time in my career helping 
women to regain their confidence and to be able to really look at their their skill set um, and, and and take solace that their skills are still very valuable and still valued even if they've had maternity leave but also to get them to rethink what having a baby is you know I think sometimes women it's a bit of a generalization but they almost try to make excuses for the fact that they've had a baby but actually I, I spend a lot of time with women sort of getting them to really take ownership of the fact that it's amazing that they've had a baby and that it's it's quite a common thing you know most most um most organizations are very family friendly they've got everybody's got family like we all come from family so it's about saying to women you know what you've what you've what you've done taking the time off to have a baby is not something that you should try to brush under the carpet and you shouldn't try and make excuses for it you should actually just own the fact that you have had a baby and now I'm back you know and you're not expected to do an mba while you're having maternity leave you're not expected to change the world while you're having maternity leave it's just actually okay to take maternity leave and be a mom um and then come back and go right and back like what do you need me to do sort of thing so that's one of the most common um the second is people who've been in roles a long time been in firms a long time they they feel they start to feel institutionalized and they find it very very hard to articulate to another employer what their skill set and value proposition is because what they've been doing for such a long time in their existing organization has been organic growth and therefore they haven't really had to think about one step leading to the next step leading to the next step it's just happened and they've reached um, positions of seniority in the organization but they find it really hard to articulate how they got there and that can let them down um, at interview because they assume a lot of knowledge. So they don't really go into very much detail about with examples about how they went from here to here or how they achieve this or they achieve that. Uh, they talk about it in a quite a matter of fact way. And so I spend a lot of time coaching senior candidates on being able to really sort of think about their longevity in a business as being five or six steps, therefore five or six different jobs and talking about it in that way. So is it really them sort of getting in their own way? Yes, in a sense, it's about them really not valuing the career journey they've had with that one organization. Almost some people see it as, well, you know, I got promoted because I've been there a long time. Well, we all know that you don't just get promoted because you've been there a long time. You get promoted because you do a good job and you're valued. So it's about reminding them about about what their employer keeps seeing in them and what a future employer might also see in them. It's interesting because there's three things that I notice about what you're sharing. One is the mindset of the individuals that you're supporting. So what mindset are they showing up with when they're talking to you about potential new opportunities or returning to work? The other one is around perspective. So you having these conversations with them and helping them to see a broader or perhaps different perspective around their current situation, whether that's embracing the season of their life that they find themselves in as a new parent, for example, or somebody who wants to move organisations having been somewhere for a very long time and helping them to see that their skill set or the career that they've had today is very much of value despite them not feeling potentially that way themselves. And then the third one is around personal responsibility I think and owning it 
um, which is actually a phrase that I use very often. And one of the things that I quite often work with my clients on is what level of personal responsibility are they willing to take to get the life that they want? Mm -hmm. And the challenges that we have, I guess, with some societal norms and the, the period at which people find themselves in when they're transitioning through changes it can be quite destabilizing. Mm. So by having these conversations to help them to understand that this is a very normal experience, lots of people go through this and there are alternative ways in which they can embrace where they are, who they are, and that they've got options to get there as well. It is really quite powerful. Mm. What's your own view on the conversations that you're having I think what what I I get told consistently um, in in my practice is that very few people take the time to listen to people's career challenges or or their insecurities, and that also and and they they don't talk about it to their friends and the family. They definitely don't talk about it at work. I mean, careers are intrinsically linked to our lives, and um, increasingly we derive a lot of status from the jobs that we do. And the pandemic was, um, you know, a huge destabilizing factor in some ways in in how people felt about their careers and their personal life because the two were brought very closely together. Suddenly you were working from home. And so the the lines got, you know, very blurred. And now we're starting to see um, with the return to work, return to office, some people are resisting to come back to the office because they see great benefit in, in in being at home. And so we're navigating the two personalities of your work persona and your home persona in, in many cases. And I think that what a lot of people are finding is that being able to tell their own story about their um, situations at home and how they feel about their careers and all the rest of it is something that they now feel more comfortable and confident doing people are very much more open about sharing what their family background is because it's present at work through their zoom meetings or whatever that was something that was probably hidden before and so it manifests itself in a way that I think people are are now a lot more happy to share their work life in the context of their home life and their home life in the context of their work life but there's generational so you'll find with younger people they're very happy to talk about their life and their authentic self at work, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But for the generation, my generation, I mean, I'm 53. So that generation, that was always, there was always a sort of barrier between work and, and home. And people do want to, do need to have a way of navigating that when they're in more senior positions and when they're at the R age and stage of life. Because it's almost expected that they've they've got it sorted, they've got it nailed, they've got it. They, they have a really clear view of what they should be doing and how they should be presenting. But actually, for a lot of people, the pandemic has shifted them personally and really affected them, and they are trying to really navigate how they work and live to the best of their ability. What do you think's enabled you to embrace the change of how you're living and working? The word embrace, though, is really interesting because it sort of denotes a real sort of positive, um, forceful, intentional way of of, of going about this dilemma. And I'm I'm not sure I'm there in my work practice. I mean, I came from, you know, working in a busy office, which is suddenly working from home. Um, And in in a recruitment context, that's 
quite challenging because you know one of the great joys of being in recruitment is that you meet lots of people and you bounce off different people and suddenly when it was went has gone virtual the nuances are not there you don't get the same energy and everything else so you do then have to become a lot more intentional about where you find that energy i think it's about not being too hard on yourself and that and also that we're still going through a process of change we, the change has not happened in fact, it's continuing and will continue for a couple more years, I, I, I think, in terms of how people feel about their um, working from home and working in the office, the benefits of one, the disadvantages of one, of, of another, about how they navigate the conversation with their organisation. So we're starting to see now a lot of organisations encourage people back to work. And for some people, they can't wait to get back into the office. And for other people... It's, it's it's really quite difficult for them because they've now got, um, for instance, I was speaking to a, a candidate yesterday, a senior senior leadership um, executive, two small children under the age of 10, who has actually really, really loved having time over the last two years to be more present at home and to find that balance between work and home life and really has a fear about losing that balance by going back into the office, but feels really insecure about having that conversation um, with her employer because she just because in her world it's only her that's having that problem. And you know what I was able to tell her was we're all having that issue. Like this is not common to you. everybody's feeling the same. So I think I think you know how do we embrace it? I think we just have to be kinder to ourselves and understand that we're all going we're all at different variations of the same issue. And we, we all have different circumstances, but we have a shared and collective circumstance, which is that we haven't yet all figured it out. And it's fine to have your own story. What gives you the ability to help people navigate the challenges that they're facing when it comes to career changes? It's a good question. I think experience. So, you know, over over 25 years, I've had thousands of conversations with people. So I'm very fortunate that I've been in a room with people at, at their most vulnerable going going through a recruitment process is a very people are very vulnerable generally when they go through that process so i've learned a lot from all those conversations i've observed a lot and also i can bring you know i suppose what i can bring to the conversation is uh, the fact that they're not on their own what they're experiencing is actually not unique it might be unique to them but it's not a unique situation in the world of work certainly but also from my own personal experience, my observations personally about how in building my own career, which I've, I've sort of done myself, you know, so I've set up my own business and I work for myself, the sort of challenges that I've had to overcome and, and the help I've had to seek to get to a point where I feel really sort of confident about who I am and what I bring to the table. What hurdles have you had to face? From a career perspective, a hurdle that I faced, which I know other people have faced, was a hierarchical hurdle. So when I first started up Selden Rossa, we're a business that has a lot of very high-end global professional service firms. So think the biggest law firms in the world, you know, the big four, the most successful sort of consulting firms. They're all our clients. And um, I remember when I was in the first five, six years of developing the business, the most natural thing for me to do would be to go and meet managing partners or meet CEOs who were then, I'm going back 15 years, 20 years, were traditionally men of a certain age and stage in their life. 
And I had a real fear of men in authority. And I would do anything I could possibly do to not have a meeting with a man- managing partner, a male managing partner or a male CEO, because I just felt that I didn't have anything. I, f- I felt diminished in their presence. Like I didn't feel worthy of being able to have a conversation with them that would add value to them in their busy and important lives, which is how I saw them. You know, I ca- as I said earlier, I came from a working class family. I didn't have, I didn't have strong academics. I very much found myself setting up a business based on relationships I'd built and my personality, you know, and suddenly here I was, you know, walking across marble lobbies of amazing global law firms in fantastic locations, mind-blowing, really. And I would often, instead of, interestingly, instead of feeling empowered by that, feeling proud of that and feeling emboldened by that, you know, I actually went the other way and felt really insecure about I had no, I shouldn't be here. I had imposter syndrome, you know. But with men, very, very rarely with women. You know, if I was ever having a meeting with a senior woman, I couldn't wait to get there, right? But when I was having a meeting with a, a man in authority, I would be really, I'd really lose a lot of confidence. And it took me talking to an executive coach who was amazing over a period of two or three months to get to a point where actually I could see that it was all in my head that I could offer value, that I did have a reason to be there, that, you know, my value proposition was strong. And so I got out of my own way in that way. Where did the fear come from? That's really, (laughs) where did that fear come from? I mean, I I was brought up in a family of, of all women. My father died tragically when I was very young, when I was four. And, and so I had no real, I had male role models, but they weren't in a professional, they didn't have professional jobs. So to me, it was a real, you know, meeting men who had, you know, reached the dizzy heights of the, you know, corporate ladder, wearing beautiful suits, you know, obviously had money, came from great backgrounds. You know, you paint pictures. This is one of the things I've learned in my job is that people paint pictures of other people that sometimes are just not true. And then you believe the persona that you've created on that person. You know, this person's a CEO, therefore they must be successful in every single way, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This person's a managing partner, therefore they must be amazing. And actually they've all got their own issues. They've all got their own problems. They're all humans. And so for me, it was a, it was a case of I'd never met people like that. I didn't know how to relate to them. Also, I'm gay. And so there was a real... Um, And I didn't understand this at the time, but that was a real barrier for me because, again, um, a lot of these men were overtly, in my view, overtly heterosexual. I mean, they may not have been, um, but again, painting pictures of people, you know, I I could never imagine at the beginning of my career that there would be an out gay man as a managing partner of a global law firm. It just wasn't talked about wasn't visible. There was no visibility around gay people at senior leadership levels at all. And so whilst I didn't appreciate it at the time, going through coaching got me to a point where I actually realized I was bringing to the table this real sort of baggage around the fact that not only was I working class, but I was also gay. And therefore, what could I possibly, what value could I possibly add to a conversation with a senior heterosexual professional man you know now I mean give me a meeting with five male managing partners I'll wipe the floor with them you know like it's just but that was a massive barrier for me and I wouldn't have I wouldn't have got through it had it not been through 
coaching. It's really interesting to hear you talk about identifying painting pictures and painting pictures which are inaccurate and then the the gravity or the weight of the narrative that gets built up around that story that you're either telling yourself or you're telling about other people and how you recognised that people do that or we all do that around other individuals but actually putting the mirror up against ourselves and see when we're doing it to ourselves as well. Yeah. I'm curious, what got you to seek support for the problem you were having around men in authority? I I recognised in myself that it was a debilitating um, fear. And increasingly, in order to develop the business, I had to put myself in the position where I could be confident in those situations. And it, it was really detracting from the success of the business, me not being there. So I knew I had to do something about it. And I was introduced to an executive coach. I'd he- In my career, I'd, I'd heard people tell me about executive coaches, obviously, but I'd never actually been in the presence of one. I thought at the time it was all a bit hokum, to be honest. Um, now I realize the absolute value in, in that. And I think I, I think I remember by ringing this particular executive coach and saying, "Oh, I only, I only need one session," you know. And I think I had six, <laughs> <laughs> and I could have had a lot more. <laughs> what was the impact of addressing the situation? Huge, because actually I realised that, and this is something that I see in other people, is that I had not recognised that there was a personal reason that was creating a barrier in my career life. So, you know, we have these personas, our domestic persona and our work persona. And I hadn't realized that in order to be more authentic and present at work, I needed to do the work on the thing that was holding me back in my personal life, which was the story that got me to a point where I was, you know, understood why it was that I had a fear of, an unnatural fear um, or an unnecessary fear, should I say, of men in authority, that it was all constructed in my own brain through social context of the class that I came from, the sexuality that I had, all of those things were things I could work on. And I've hopefully now give that power to other people because often when I'm in a coaching situation with a candidate, I try to get them to overcome some of these personal barriers that are sticking points in them getting to the next point in their career through my own sort of experience in overcoming that. So what would you say your major lesson has been? I think very important for people to, and for me, to understand the value of self-reflection and also to understand your own story and that your story of life, your life story actually is hugely influential on your career story. And that things that you think are disconnected from your career. So, you know, I'm at work now, so I'll put my personal life on hold while I'm at work and all that sort of stuff. It's impossible to really do that successfully because it will come back to bite you in the end. So I see a lot of people who get to a point in work where they get they get burnout or they become addicted to something and they they use those as props to get them to get them through and the lesson that i learned very early on was that it's actually fine and really important 
to seek help and do the work on sharing your own story, whether it's with friends or with a professional or whatever, it's actually quite important to know who you are and what you are and where you are and to use that as a powerful thing in your career because people are interested in people. So by developing your self-awareness, you've been able to fulfill your potential? You know, I think one of the things I say to candidates is that it's if you understand the instruction manual for your life, then you can use that really well in your career. And what I mean by that is that we're all learning. As, as, we, get, as we go through life, every year we learn something else about ourselves or about something. When we're at work, we're not just enhancing our skill set every year and adding to our skill set every year and our, our experience. We're also adding to our life experience. And understanding the lessons that you learn in life can actually help you also understand um, how to navigate obstacles in your career. If that sort of answers that question a little bit, I don't know if I have answered that question. I'm, um, I'm just sat here reflecting actually on what you were talking about earlier around your work persona and your life persona and the intergenerational differences between the younger generation bringing their full authentic self to work, being very values focused and actually wanting more from employers versus your self-described generation of you had to show up as a a professional, you didn't necessarily embrace your personal life at work and how the pandemic's really sort of leapfrogged us into a different place. But then I'm listening to you share how you've developed your own self-awareness and how you've recognised how your personal story has truly impacted your career and actually by working on yourself personally you've been able to accelerate your career but also support others Mm. to make the connection between being their true selves and being successful at work yes one of the one of the observations I've made in in careers over the last 20 years and in life over the last 20 years and they're big reflections actually about about the world of work now is that as a as a gay man 20 years ago you just would not bring that to work you just wouldn't there was so much fear around if they find out that I'm gay I won't get promoted or I might not get the job or, or whatever it might be they might not put me in a, on a project team together with you know etc 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 and now fast forward and we've got you know lgbti friendly workplaces on steroids, literally, you know, we've got days where we celebrate it, you know, parades, you know, in the office, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And which is amazing. But for somebody who 20 years ago was thinking to themselves, I can't bring this to work to suddenly be in a situation at work where you're celebrating it. So a massive leap, not always comfortable for some people. And I think that that's what I, I try to remind myself of when I try also to remind candidates of is that if you come from a place where at the beginning of your career you very definitely separated your work life from your personal life to now be in a situation where actually you're expected to bring that to the table because everybody wants to see your authentic self that's a real hurdle for a lot of people so my job is to get them to feel comfortable in breaking down their own barriers and being able to freely bring themselves to work it's a huge shift. It's a huge shift. And then you've got this generational situation in an office where you might have people who, you know, are in their 20s now, 
So if you take the LGBTI thing, for example, they know that they can go to work and be who they are. They can be proudly LGBTI. In fact, it's celebrated. They're on the brochure, you know. And then you might have somebody else in the office who's been closeted for the last 20 years and just doesn't feel very able to bring that out of themselves. And it's not just about being LGBTI. I mean, so for instance, if we look at another hurdle I've overcome, which I'm happy to share with you, is that I was alcohol addicted. So when I set up the business, I mean, I had an alcohol problem before I set up the business, but you can imagine having an alcohol problem and setting up a recruitment business and, you know, it only got worse. And um, and I successfully gave up alcohol again through the intervention of a third party. I, I, I sought counselling. But now when you think about the stigma around alcohol and the fact that this generation is all about not drinking alcohol and everywhere you look, it's about we don't drink alcohol and everything's, you know, there's so many um, opportunities to not drink alcohol. Whereas a decade ago, 15 years ago, there was a real stigma about not drinking, you know, in, in the workplace. And so I think we're at a very interesting time in, in, in corporate careers, organizational careers, organizational culture, where you've got multi-generations all bringing to the table different aspects of their life at different degrees. So the younger generation who are really happy to show up and be more authentic than sometimes is healthy, probably more vocal about their life and their challenges and their mental health and everything else. And then the older generation who have never been given permission to talk about those things. And suddenly we're all expected to work together in the same way. It's, it's challenging. You raise really insightful observations around changes through the workplace and broader society over the last 20 or 30 years and the things that I'm really noticing around what you're talking about is how you've got to build awareness around your own belief system so what are the beliefs that you've carried through your childhood experiences and beyond the challenges of intergenerational expectations and norms and how we can value the difference in those and recognising how society has shifted over the years. But just because it's shifted doesn't mean it's easy or natural for some to accept those changes or to feel comfortable to, to be themselves. But at the same time, by doing the work on understanding yourself better, how it can really help you to get more comfortable within yourself, to achieve the things that you want to achieve and to improve your performance and your own version of success. Mm. There's a lot of richness to what you're sharing. And I would love for you to share with me your one thing that you wish everybody was told. I think I go back to the instruction manual and analogy. Um, I think if people were taught really early on that everybody is wired differently. Every single person has a different experience um, in life. But the collective experiences that you have make up the way in which you approach life. And that it's important to reread your manual and to, to often maybe even get somebody to help you interpret your manual. You know, say, I'm a great advocate of um, third-party coaching, career coaching, or therapy if required. But I think that if everybody just understood that actually we don't all operate in the same way, 
where, you know, it's like if you had every dishwasher is different, you know, like there might be same brands of dishwasher, but every dishwasher is different. It all comes with instruction manual. I think people need to be really happy with the fact that they have an instruction manual. And actually it should be a joy to read because by really truly understanding how you work, how you operate as a person, what your belief systems are, what drives the decisions that you make, what fears that you might have, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, allows you to feel really more confident about who you are and understand who you are. And then that translates into being a much more confident and assured, happier person. Can you just help me to understand what you mean by an instruction manual? Yeah, so um, this is something that I reflected on when, so when I overcame alcohol addiction, I realized that alcohol for me was, it was covering it, it was covering something else up. You know, there was something that was driving me to be addicted to alcohol. And I didn't understand what it was. And it took months of self-reflection and working with a, a therapist to get to a point where I understood why I drank in the first place what the triggers were, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Doing the work around that enabled me to give up alcohol. But the experience of doing the work on that to give up alcohol has stayed with me. So every hurdle that I have, I've had in life since, I've been able to reflect on the answer to this issue that you face is already written inside. You just need to find it. And that's what I mean by an instruction manual, you know? So if you go to an instruction manual of a domestic appliance, there's always a troubleshooting page at the back, you know? And so I think about my life like that and I try to get others to think about their life like that. Go to the troubleshooting page and ask yourself the frequently asked questions, you know? Is this, is this not working because of this? Is this not working? What is the alarm signal that's showing? You know, what's the... So my dishwasher's broken at the moment, right? It's got four little um, lights going on. And I had to phone the plumber and tell him, he was like, well, what, what's, the, what's the little alarm signals that are going on? I said, oh, you know, the little, there's one that says the water inlet's flashing. He said, well, it's not, you know, something's happened to the water inlet. It's probably, your pipes are probably frozen or whatever. Um, that's, the, that's what I mean by troubleshooting, is to, is to actually take the time to ask yourself, you know, what's actually going on here? You know, what actually is the barrier? And what can I do to fix it? And can I fix it myself, i.e., is this a troubleshooting thing that I know I can fix because the answer's in there? Or is this something that I actually need a professional to come in and help me fix? So a plumber or a therapist. I love that. <laughs> Graham, thank you so much. It's a pleasure. 